We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Welcome back. This is Hampton Keithley and Bob Brandon, and we're continuing our Politics Friday uh, series. So how are you today, Bob? I'm good. I, I think I'm doing better than you're doing. Aren't you a little tired? I am. How, how many gallons of bodily fluids did you lose this morning on the golf course? I don't know. It was uh, 100% humidity, I feel like. Only 79 <laughs> degrees, but I was totally drenched. But that's because I played in an hour and 55 minutes. Well, <laughs> walking. You, <laughs> But you did very well. You were three over on the day. I was. And that's under like a, the official scoring system. Yeah, that's not your scoring system. <laughs> right. Well, we live in different places because uh, when I get up in the morning, I've got a winter jacket on. It was below freezing yesterday morning. Yeah, that's crazy. That's refreshing. I hear you. So, Hampton, are you excited? Because we're going to finish our vocabulary session for, you know, our endeavor into Christianity and the Constitution. Because when we talked about one of the founding fathers, Richard Sherman, he just reeked of wisdom. Right. And so that, that led us on the uh, path of what are the biblical words for wisdom? Because it's hard to really grasp a concept without at least having a grasp on the vocabulary of that concept. So we took a couple times to talk about the wisdom vocabulary in the Bible. Um, but that leads us to the other side of that coin. So there are not as many words, but there still is an important vocabulary for folly in the Bible. So I thought we'd cover that today and okay. it'll prob probably leave us enough time even Hampton to reach our ultimate goal, which is to read the constitution. Cause I don't think that's going to be with us too much longer. <laughs> uh, perhaps not. <laughs> so we'll, we'll read that. But how about if we just jump into the words for folly, buckle up. Okay. Okay. Here's an opening paragraph. The essence of folly is lack of good judgment. 
with consequent distortions in moral and practical choices. The fool is one who sacrifices things of value to ends that have no value. Folly may arise from a variety of causes, such as moral debasement, distorted ethical values, smug mental sloth, arrogance and disdain, flightiness, ignorance, and mindless naivete. We can arrange the types of fools on a continuum from ingrained moral defect and unchangeability to relative innocence and improvability. All the folly words imply moral culpability, not lack of native intelligence. Much of foolishness arises from a distorted worldview. Oh my goodness. So lots to talk about there before we get into the actual vocabulary. Let me mention the first thing that comes to my mind. <clears throat> Remember that opening sentence. The essence of folly is lack of good judgment with consequent distortions in moral and practical choices. Remember when we were talking about the natural law and I was trying to get the point across that the natural law is really one uh, metaphor for it would be it's the moral fabric of the universe that God created. It's really there. And we almost likened it to the way Tesla saw electricity. But imagine that the world is made up of a moral fabric. Right. You know, like the, you know, the movie, The Matrix, once you mm -hmm. get inside. Right. It's that sort of concept. Not that not to take the point from the movie, but just the metaphor that we le really live within a fabric and it's moral in nature. And the fool constantly is tearing holes in that fabric. And I think they're tearing holes in that fabric because they don't have, and this would be my second point from this paragraph, the correct worldview. They have a distorted worldview. So the actions that they take seem logical to them, but in essence, they're really tearing holes in the moral fabric of our universe. That's how I see it. Okay. And anyway, so within that, introduction. How about some specific words? The first one is one of my favorites because it sounds like an animal. <laughs> so this one is the bar. <laughs> so if you put that together, right, the bear. Okay. But actually, I think bears, like most animals, actually have a ton of wisdom that God put in them for their niche within the, you know, the living animals of the world but the bar is the best gloss for that is ignoramus <laughs> that's a nice way to say it you know some of these words we don't use them anymore like we used to but the bars and ignoramus animal like brutishness is his earmark this is psalm seventy-three twenty-two. i was ignorant and that's the word ba'ar, and lacked insight. 
I was senseless as an animal before you. So it's animal-like brutishness. Um, but let me, that takes me down a little different path. When I think of animals, the first thing that comes to my mind, so I think maybe Hampton, my favorite book in the Bible is Daniel. And when I hear animals, I just instantly think of Daniel chapter 7. So let me read the first three verses of Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream filled with visions while he was lying on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream in summary fashion. Daniel explained, I was watching in my vision during the night as the four winds of the sky were stirring up the great sea. Then four large beasts came up from the sea. They were different from one another. So we'll stop there because that's a familiar passage to most people and they can imagine the beasts coming out of the sea. And those beasts, as you delve into the book of Daniel, represent kingdoms that are going to come upon the earth. Why use the imagery of a beast? Well, the, those are predators. Okay. The kind of animals that he sees, right? They are. So um, who was supposed to, who, remember how we've talked about plan A, like so mm -hmm. many times, right? When, when you're omniscient and you're omnipotent, you don't make a plan B. <laughs> so, so plan A was for mankind to rule the world. And in Genesis 3, you had an attempt at flipping that upside down. A beast, right? A serpent okay. took, took ownership, right? In a, in a sense, <clears throat> not, not wrested it from God's hand, but in a conniving way, kind of slipped himself into that whole process. So he turned the tables on man. And, and so in Daniel 7, you had beasts coming out of the sea. So they're all, all demonic. That imagery is to represent demonic brutishness, right? Ignorance, mm -hmm. right? Ignorance of the real plan, right? But then at the end of that chapter, doesn't one like the son, son of, of man, man, right? comes and receives the kingdom. So it's all going to be plan A in the end as it was as it was always designed to be. But that that's the whenever I think of animals that's what I think of, you know, is Daniel chapter 7. Um, so let's let's continue on. We're on the word ba'ar, you know, could be translated ignoramus. Here's so Proverbs 30 verse 2 surely i'm more brutish and that's the word bar than any other man i do not have human understanding that's proverbs 32 and the, the phrase there human understanding is bina adam so we've we've covered those words before the term bar does not necessarily denote sin but 
ignorance is one step away from moral debasement because it makes one less open to correction. The one who loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates reproof is stupid. And that word for stupid is ba'ar. And that's Proverbs 12.1. Next term, the hasar lab. <laughs> this is a good one. We could translate that phrase mindlessness or empty-headed person. Lacking a mind is a close synonym of Hassar Leib. This person lacks the ability to make a prudent, sensible decision. Empty-headed is another close synonym. The imprudence of the Hassar Leib may involve an immoral and vile act. Here's Proverbs 6.32. A man who commits adultery with a woman lacks wisdom. And that's the phrase Hassar Leib. Whoever does it destroys his own life. But it may also reveal itself in lesser types of indiscretion and mindlessness, such as pursuing vain things. Here's Proverbs 12:11. The one who works his field will have plenty of food, but whoever chases daydreams lacks wisdom. And that lacks wisdom is the phrase hasar laid. It can also be applied to guaranteeing a loan, Proverbs 17, 18, and being lazy, Proverbs 24, 30. So the first one was the ba'ar. The next one is the hasar laid. Here's a funny one. This is the ewelet. <laughs> it almost sounds like you know, some creature from Star Wars or something. I forget, you know, those little e, those little uh, teddy bear things, uh -huh. like the Ewoks or whatever it was. Here's the Ewillet. And that could be translated folly or perverse folly. The Ewill is the fool or the knave. So Ewillet is the willful refusal to make moral choices. See how we're climbing up the scale here? Now, now it's willful. Right. So the e-willet is moral corruption from the standpoint of its impact on judgment and reason. Though the e-will may be shrewd and expert in some ways, he's rendered stupid in important regards by his warped values and distorted vision. See, that's so fascinating to me because if you don't have a biblical worldview, there's a sense in which you must almost necessarily be an e-will. You've, mm -hmm. you've got to be a fool. It'll affect all your choices. It'll affect, you know, all, all your achievements in the end, you know, no matter how, um, worldly successful an individual is imagine uh, passing from this life and finding yourself before God's throne in judgment what are you going to offer up 
as far as, hey, here's the life I lived. Well, the whole thing was distorted. Right. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? It's just so, so sad. So next paragraph. However clever he may be superficially, the e-will is morally obtuse. This is um, like from Isaiah 19.11. The officials of zone are nothing but fools. And that's the word e-will. Pharaoh's wise advisors give stupid advice. How dare you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the sages, one well-versed in the writings of the ancient kings. See, I mean, that's almost exact. That's Isaiah making the point I was making. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how much intelligence or IQ you're bringing to the table. If your worldview is distorted, your advice will necessarily be corrupt. Right. Yeah, I was, <clears throat> we have a, I can't remember the name of the tree now, but it's got flowers all over it. And um, the bees were just all over the, the, the flowers and they were covered in pollen. And, and I just thought, what an amazing system. system. Yep. And, you know, there's no way you could have that evolve. No. And, and so, you know, I just sit there going, how can someone look at that, you know, scientists look at that and think that it evolved? And, that, you know, they're supposedly smart, but their worldview keeps them from seeing the truth. Exactly right. And like you're saying, I don't know how to really express this as well as I'd like to, but those guys may well be brilliant in their field. But the conclusions they draw outside of their field will be necessarily corrupt because they don't they don't fit it into the right worldview. So that that's such a critical subject. You know, you know when when we began the podcast, how often I would say to you, whether it was even on the podcast or just in private conversation, how I viewed Christianity as a whole. And I think it's really important to, for people to grasp this concept. It is a worldview. It's, I, I don't perceive it as a religion. Obviously, it fits the definition of a religion. So do a lot of things, actually. But that's not, I don't find that word religion. Like if you started with a blank slate and read the Bible, you would not conclude this is a religion. <laughs> you would yeah. conclude, right? You would conclude this is a worldview. This is the history of what has happened, how things work, and where everything's headed. You know, what went wrong? How do we fix it? Stuff like that. You'd conclude it was a worldview, and you'd be correct. So, uh, next paragraph. They're blind, or uh, here's Jeremiah, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 22. The Lord answered, this will happen because my people are foolish. And that's the word e-will. They do not know me. They're like children who have no sense. They have no understanding. They are skilled at doing evil. 
they do not know how to do good. Wow, that's a sobering passage. Here's the last paragraph on uh, the word for folly, ewellet. Ewellet is persistent and irremediable in the ewill. Here's Proverbs 27, 22. If you should pound the fool in the mortar among the grain with the pestle, his foolishness would not depart from him. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> However, it may appear episodic in others. Folly, that's the word Ewellet, is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. So, you know, what I, my takeaway from that is, yeah, in a child, it might be episodic, but by the time you're an adult, that, that can be hardwired in there. You, you really can't get it out. You know, I wonder, have you ever heard this, Hampton? This is just occurring to me now. I've thought about it over the years, but it occurs as I, I read that verse. Is it true, do you think, that most, most of the uh, people who come to faith do so as children, that it's, it's much harder to bring an adult to faith? And it, is that borne out statistically, do you think? I would think so, but I don't know the statistics. I don't either. I, I just have that same general feeling. And if that is the case, I'd relate it to this. Right. By the time you're an adult, your foolishness is now hard, hardwired into you. Yeah. But, but I'm not sure I would press that all the way, but you, you, you understand where my mind's going. The, the other uh, factor that would play into that is, well, but it's, it's never by one's wisdom that you come to faith. It's by God's election. Although, you know, I, I don't always like holding that in a tight fist. Like, like there's a human response side to that as well. But right. anyway, next word, <clears throat> kesselet or the kessel. <laughs> this is usually translated stupidity, doltishness, or like an oaf is a good translation of this term. Kesselet is smug mental sloth respect to its impact on judgment and reason right with respect to that so your judgment and reason are skewed by your smug mental sloth it is stupidity that comes from obtuseness and complacency not merely from inadequate intelligence the kessel trusts his own heart the one who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's the word Kessel. But the one who walks in wisdom will escape. That's Proverbs 28, 26. Boy, it's hard to overemphasize that. The one who trusts in his own heart. Think how many conversations you've had with people and really the ultimate authority for them is their own heart. Right. They, they just see it differently and uh, have set themselves up as the ultimate discerner 
And in fact, that's most people fall into that category. And that's the, that's the path to destruction. Let me read that verse again. So this is Proverbs 28, 26. The one who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But the one who walks in wisdom will escape. In other words, what's implied there is um, essential to the concept of wisdom is that you're not trusting yourself, right? So who would you be trusting if you were to walk in wisdom? God, God. <laughs> right? Okay, the Kessel lacks clarity of vision. The Kessel's oafishness erupts into all he does. He blunders into others' quarrels. It's Proverbs 14, 16. He quickly consumes the goods that happened to be in his house. <laughs> Proverbs 21, 20. Self-satisfaction is conducive to silly self-indulgence. So when a fool is shown as mirthful, he usually is called a kessel. Here's Proverbs 19.10. Luxury is not appropriate for a fool. That's the word kessel. How much less for a servant to rule over princes. Boy, there's a lot in that verse. A lot, yeah. A a lot of, I guess if you're a fool, you shouldn't have a big inheritance. Well, it's sort of looking, maybe, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll read it again. Luxury is not appropriate for a fool. How much less for a servant to rule over princes? I guess because you're not trained to do it, right? And, and luxury, luxury that's um, just bestowed rather than earned is, is wasted. Well, there's a lot of stories of, you know, the dad that built a business up and got rich and then leaves it to the kids and they were spoiled and squandered it. Yeah, we, you know, you um, lived up here in this valley and, you know, some of the wealth, well, not specifically the Vale Valley, but, you know, you were in Carbondale, I think, right? Carbondale? Glenwood. So Yeah, Glenwood. So you're not far from Aspen and... I mean, you run into uh, people, if you live here long enough, it just have, I mean, it's nearly unlimited wealth. Yeah. And, and I was never too close with those, but I've had some close friends that were. And the, it's so uh, interesting to listen to them because, you know, my friends were devout in their faith. So they're, they're having close contact with, you know, in many, sometimes it is a, a believer, but in, in many cases it was not. And one of the things they would have to do after spending, you know, an extended period of time with the wealthy unbeliever is almost like detox when they had a week or two to themselves, because you almost felt like dirty, oily. And one of the takeaways was, um, the value of things became nothing because not, you could just buy whatever you wanted. It's so strange. So it had no value, mm -hmm. right? If, if you, you're walking down a, a promenade, you know, of 
retail stores and you glance in the window and your patron sees you glance in there and goes, oh, let's get that coat. Well, that coat in a weird way has no value to you because it, it was just free. It's really hard to explain, but it, it really kind of ruins life. And then they would feel oily, not because the person's actions were necessarily sinful. It's just, they, I don't know, I'm struggling to explain it. It just uh, cheapened life in a weird way. I mean, I'm talking about things like <clears throat> you go to Paris on a whim and you stay in the nicest hotel in Paris and you get the entire floor, even <laughs> though you, you're just going to use one room, but you get the whole floor because you don't want anyone else on your floor. That really cheapens the experience in a, in a strange way. It's just, it's just so strange. I can't so, imagine. Oh, no, it's hard. It's hard. So uh, next Next paragraph, self-satisfaction is conducive. Oh, we read that. Next one. The Kessel's stupidity renders him incompetent in speech, a frequent theme in Proverbs. Here's Proverbs 26, 7. Like legs that hang limp from the lame, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. <laughs> How was the old saying that better to be quiet and let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and prove it? There you go. There, uh, <clears throat> there's so many. There's like modern proverbs can sometimes be pretty good, right? You and I both like that one from Mark Twain about it's easier to fool someone than it is to convince them they've been fooled. Right. That's that's just so poignant. But, um, <clears throat> you know, the first thing that comes to my mind in this is, again, we're on the uh, overall podcast of Politics Friday. So now they've sort of removed the danger of not being a good speaker because you rarely see a politician speak without the teleprompter. And that can really mask how someone comes across here here's a for instance have you ever heard obama speak when there's no teleprompter yeah occasionally you you would swear it's not even the same guy yeah i mean he's a terrible speaker and yet you know with the teleprompter DC comes across okay. I mean, I don't enjoy the content of what he's saying, but he at least delivers it well. Right. You know, in other words, it's just an actor. That's all he is. I, I'm not sure how much Trump used the teleprompter. I mean, I, I wouldn't call him a, a great speaker, but at least you kind of felt like you were at least hearing the man himself as opposed to more like an Obama that uh, was just so. I think a lot of people wished he would, would use the, a lot of people wished he would use the teleprompter. Yeah. I, I like him not to, but I, I know what you mean. Biden, <clears throat> he came a walk up to the teleprompter, let, let alone use the thing. So you were supposed to laugh. Hampton. Here's the next 
last paragraph on Kessel. The Kessel's ignorant, clumsy, and unhelpful, as well as smug and self-destructive. There's little hope of educating the Kessel. That's Proverbs 17.10. But it's not inconceivable. Proverbs 18.5. So maybe you can, but they're pretty far gone. Next word, the lasson. This is typically translated scorn or insolence. The lace, often translated mocker. See, that's how you'll usually see it in the mm -hmm. Bible, right? Is both arrogant and scornful. The lace is the haughty man. He is wise in his own eyes and therefore mocks whomever rebukes him. He's insolent, disdainful in treatment of others. He has contempt for others. Here's Proverbs 21, 24. A proud and arrogant person, the lace, whose name is scoffer, acts with overbearing pride. The lace are people that boast that they've made a covenant with death and are protected by deceit. Wow. So here's Isaiah 28, 16. For you say, we have made a treaty with death. With Sheol, we have made an agreement. When the overwhelming judgment sweep, sweeps by, it will not reach us. For we have made a lie our refuge. We have hidden ourselves in a deceitful word. That's Isaiah 28, 16. You know, <clears throat> how often do we tell people, right, that we come in contact with daily, you need to be reading your Bible, right? Yeah. Just, just read that all the time. I, you've got to be coming across these things because our world has fallen so far. But would you pick that verse as almost the bullseye? on a target with an arrow right in the heart of that verse of the people manipulating the great reset. Yeah. Let me read Definitely. that. Well, let me read that one more time for you say we have made a treaty with death with Sheol. We have made an agreement when the overwhelming judgment sweeps by, it'll not reach us. For we have made a lie our refuge. We have hidden ourselves in a deceitful word. Man, think how distorted that worldview must be. Like, you, you don't think God can pierce the darkness? You don't think he can pierce the lie you're hiding behind? They don't. They feel exempt from that. My goodness. And yeah, I, think I was just listening to a podcast yesterday, and I guess some person that worked for a Republican senator was doing a tell-all thing or, or something like that. And there were some quotes by the senator. They didn't believe what his constituents believed, but he would go out and talk a good game knowing that it was a lie because he knew what he needed to say to get, you know, 
voted in, but, you know, he promised that he would do this or that. And then he gets in and doesn't follow through because he never intended to. He just said whatever he needed. Yeah, a, a swamp dweller, in other words, right? Yeah. And so so now I think they've even eliminated that, right? Why, why even have a vote? If we're just going to lie to them and get voted, <laughs> voted in, let's just change the whole system. Let's just put in the Dominion voting system and via computer manipulate the vote to keep us into power. That's what I see them doing now. But yeah, the the honesty behind closed doors to to say, right? I'm yeah, I'm just gonna lie to them. Oh my goodness. Well, I kind of had the thought when I was listening to that that in some ways the the left is more honest. Yes. Because they said, you know, they're just straightforward. We're going to transform society. We believe in truth over facts. Yeah. We're gonna take out the whole oil industry and yep. then the, the Republicans. Well, sometimes they say that. Yeah. yeah. And then the Republicans come along and say, well, we're going to fight that. Yeah. And they're not. And then they don't. So right. they're the ones that are lying more lately. Right. Yeah. That behind closed doors thing, that, that's always interesting, right? We have other phrases for it, like take off the mask and things like that. I remember in college, you know, I majored in biology and I remember asking one of my favorite biology teachers and I, I was atheist at the time and she knew that. And so she knew when I asked this question that I really didn't have a dog in the fight. I was just sincerely asking. And I remember asking her, you know, if she believed we evolved and she just looked at me, just, you know, very honest expression and just said, I have no idea. Now, that same professor, no way would say that publicly. That, I mean, that was her and I were the only two people in the room, mm -hmm. right? So she'd tell you, there's no, she'd probably lose her job if she said that publicly. But yeah, those things are interesting. Here's the last, uh, well, so that what I had read was Isaiah 28, 16, but you know, really, I should have set that up better. In 2815, the whole context was referring to a, a fool, and it was the word lace. And so when it begins, you know, for you say, that's referring to the, the fool, the uh, insolent, the scornful person. So their words do not express mockery so much as cynicism and insolence. You can even hear the cynicism, can't you, in that, in what you were referring to, right? Like yeah. even behind closed doors, right? I am going to lie to them because, you know, I, I don't think what they think, but to get elected, I'm just going to lie. You can hear the cynicism in there. Um, in their audacity, they imagine themselves immune from punishment. The lace is less resistant or is resistant to chastisement. His character prevents him from attaining learning, even if he should seek it. For the ability to learn from others requires a certain suppression of ego. He must be punished, not so much to change him 
as to warn others. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so here, here's uh, Proverbs 19.25. Beat a scorner. That's the lace. And as a result, the simpleton, that's the petty, will learn prudence. Correct a discerning person, Naban, and as a result, he will understand knowledge. That's Bina. So a lace is so bad that the only reason to punish him is as evidence to someone else who's less far down the, the path. That's good. Right. And don't, don't you think that as well for our, you know, the horrible politicians that really are there just to, for, an, for their own power, you know, if you punish them, they're not going to change, but you no. might, you might deter others from taking that path. That, that would be the only reason to do it. Right. So or, or justice. <laughs> In the simple pursuit of justice. Yeah, remove them from doing any more harm. Yeah. So last one here on our, our list of words for folly. The pettyute, or you could just say the petty. So not, not our word petty, but P-E-T-I is how you transliterate the Hebrew letters. So the, the petty is callow, naive, gullible. So, for instance, if Hitler might have been described as a lasson, someone like Adolf Eichmann would be a petty. I'll explain that when I get done with this. Okay. So the petty is inexperienced and gullible. The petty is not inherently culpable. Outside of Proverbs, God himself watches over the petty. That's Psalm 116, verse 6. And his teachings make them wise. In Ezekiel 45, 20, the petty was just a simpleton. Proverbs, however, tends to interpret any intellectual flaw as tantamount to a moral one. Let's pause there just for a second. Imagine our illustration of the uh, universe being a fab God, the natural law being the moral fabric of the universe. So if, if you don't perceive that natural law, that moral fabric, that's tantamount to breaking it. You almost necessarily will tear a hole in it if you don't perceive that it's there and how it works. Right. So with their absolute faith in education, the sages of Proverbs consider being a petty a matter of choice. They will progress in their foolishness unless they are corrected out of it. It's Proverbs 14, 18. The naive, that's the petty, inherit folly, but the shrewd are crowned with knowledge. So you can become one or the other. You know, it's almost like it, when you're born, you're almost by definition a petty. You know, you just you just don't know enough, but you can be taught. You can right. be taught to perceive the world correctly. The petty are the main audience of the book of Proverbs. Chapter one, verse four, to impart shrewdness to the morally naive. 
that's the petty and a discerning plan to the young person. But as long as the petty remains stuck in his naivete and callowness, he belongs to the class of fools and can be placed parallel to Lace and Kessel. Those are the bad guys. So this is Proverbs one twenty two. How long will you simpletons, and that's petty, love naivete? How long will mockers, and that's Lace, delight in mockery? and fools, that's Kessel's, hate knowledge. So in one sense, it's inevitable that you start out as a petty in this world, but if you're not growing in wisdom, you will become the lace and you will become the Kessel down the line. There's no neutral. Yeah, there's no neutrality. And, and the path you're on is going to start determining your choices for you. Right, that works both ways. If you're on the path of wisdom, you get wiser. If you're on the path of a fool, you get even more foolish, you know, the further you walk down that path. So here, here was my reference to Eichmann and Hitler. You know, one of my favorite philosophers, we talked about her at a different time on one of the podcasts is Hannah Arendt, mm -hmm. a Jewish woman. And she really dug in to the trials after World War II. And she wrote fairly extensively on Adolf Eichmann. And Eichmann's name gets tossed around. Hitler, I don't feel like I need to explain, right? Just a moral monster, really. But Eichmann almost needs a little bit of explanation. His name often gets tossed around as being, you know, a horrible epitome of Nazism. And it, there's a sense in which that's true. But Hannah Arendt's Jewish and had come to the United States in her take on Eichmann, but, but as a figurehead for the whole of Nazi Germany, was not as harsh as you might think. It, it wasn't her goal to limit blame or anything like that. It was her goal as a philosopher to really understand what was going on. So here's like... 30 seconds on Adolf Eichmann. He, before Nazism, he was a vacuum cleaner oil salesman. <laughs> okay. He was, he was pretty not, specific. Not, yeah. But specific as a boy, as nothing, right? I mean, you have to work to, to stay alive, but no accomplishment, no, no. How did that guy? become this famous name in Nazism. Well, what he saw was the opportunity to grow in power. And that the more he adhered to the rising tide of Nazism, the more responsibility they gave him. And ultimately, he was one of their top dogs for killing Jews, many of them his good friends. How sick is that? But, but it was in just in the pursuit of power, right? He, it really meant something to him to be recognized, to be a person of influence and so on. Had the, in other words, 
had there been no Nazi rise to power, there never would have been an Eichmann. He would have just kept selling his vacuum cleaner oil. Yeah. But right. And that, that's how I see a lot of our politics. And by the way, that doesn't excuse him. That obviously just points out the real flaw that was in him, whether it could be expressed or not. But that was inherent in him. It, it's almost like you can see his journey from petty to lace to Kesselit, you know, the further he walked down the path of Nazism. But can you see that in our politicians today that really is just a, a path to power? And that's what they really want. Like their agenda uh, upon getting elected quite often is not, hey, what can I do that'll best help Hampton or Bob? That's not what they wake up thinking. I mean, they how can I get reelected? How can I get reelected? How can I secure more power? What committees can I get on so I can have an influence? Right. It's, it has nothing to do with wisdom. Like what's the best way to govern or how do we most efficiently run our country? They care less about that. They're looking at this giant money maker and trying to figure out how they can become important in that process. Quite a contrast to the founding fathers. I mean, it's night and day. So that's the end of the um, words for folly, really, that I'd like to cover. So we've covered the words for wisdom and the words for folly. And the reason is because if we're going to examine our politics, we need to have wisdom and we need to recognize what fools are and what folly is so that we can discern the times that we live in. And with those tools of analysis, we could read the Constitution and really get something out of it. If we had the working vocabulary of wisdom and it's and the opposite side of that coin, folly, and then re read the Constitution. But I don't know how much time we have left on this episode. Yeah, we probably should start that next time. Well, let's do that. And we'll just remind ourselves of those words. And then next time we'll read the Constitution and make some comments about it. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Hampton. Bye-bye. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Mm -hmm.